God is always hunting after each of us. He desires our companionship and provides the grace to follow his will. However, conversion and perseverance are not easy. Today's guest discusses his transformation to God from being a negative and bitter police officer, one who was also suffering from multiple addictions and oppressed by the devil. But he held fast. He did the harder thing. And his witness and wisdom today speak of God's love for each of us men. So stay with us. everyone. Thanks for joining us on another episode of The Catholic Gentleman. We are so blessed that you have decided to join us. If this is your first time, please click that subscribe button wherever you are. If you're on YouTube, click that bell button so that you can get notified each time one of these come out. We've got a great guest today, Jordan Burke. I'm looking forward to introducing him. But before we get there, if you're looking to support The Catholic Gentleman, we have launched The Catholic Gentleman Plus. Sam and I are so excited for years. We have been hearing men's cry that they just need a little bit more help. They need a little bit more strategy. They need a little bit more guidance in their life. And what could uh, be better but creating a membership program for men that can answer these questions and answer these needs. And so that's what Sam and I have done. Each month, we're coming out with new themes. We're coming out with new topics. We have guest experts coming on every single month. It is affordable. We've got, um, uh, you know, um, ebooks that are coming out every single month and a lot more things that are happening. So we are very excited to present that. Head over to Catholic Gentleman Plus or click on the link in the show notes uh, to see more. So as I mentioned, I'm excited to introduce our guest today, Jordan Burke. So after a little over a half a decade of protecting and serving his community as a police officer, Jordan Burke traded in his badge and his gun for a Bible and a rosary. Falling deeply in love with the church and her teachings, praise be to God, as Sam and I are as well, he dove headfirst into the writings of the saints and all aspects of the spiritual theology and hasn't stopped learning since. So we have Jordan on today because he's a lover of truth. He is a soldier in Christ. He is a gentleman uh, extraordinaire. And uh, he runs a, uh, a group with a motto, you know, do the harder thing. And that's how I came across him on his website. I do know his father. Actually, I've met his father, but I didn't connect the dots until a little bit after uh, um, following you on Instagram, as humorous as that is. So he also has um, spends time farming and yeah. uh, he has a beautiful uh, baby girl and lives with them. Where, where are you guys living? What state? So the retreat center is in uh, Montgomery, Alabama. Awesome. Montgomery, yeah. Alabama. So anyways, Jordan, so grateful for you joining us today. You've got quite a story and something that I know all our listeners, myself included, want to hear. So I'd love to hear, you know, back from the beginning when you weren't Catholic, right? And you were sure. um, just searching. Yeah, well, I really appreciate you uh, having me on, and it's funny you mentioned this because we have a we have a priest visiting with us, and he he just wanted to hear my story, and I thought, man, I haven't told my story in so long, I'm forgetting so many pieces. So he got the dry run. So hopefully this one is a little bit more, <laughs> okay. a little bit more cohesive. But um, I I come from a really rough childhood, as I think a lot of people do in some way, some form or fashion, um, in our modern time, unfortunately. But uh, my mother was. Uh, a severe, severe alcoholic, and was very abusive, uh, to the point where there's a good, uh, significant portion of my childhood that is uh, repressed, just repressed memories. And I've worked with um, varying counselors and, and therapists and professionals in that area. And, um, but it's, that's kind of a, a response to the trauma, right? So 
interestingly, even through that, I had I had a, an idea of God, um, probably because my dad, <clears throat> excuse me, he was kind of we were kind of bouncing around. He wasn't Catholic at the time. He hadn't converted yet. And so we were, we had gone to uh, the Anglican church. He was an Anglican seminary for a period of time after they had split. Um, I mean, everywhere we were, we were all over the place. Of course, Protestant churches. I remember one of the few memories I have was the, uh, the typical Protestant church in a school gym, right? Yeah. <laughs> I just wanted to play on the rock wall in the back. I had no interest in anything that was going on at the time. So I had an idea of God, but I didn't have a relationship with God by any means. And, and so, you know, things got in my childhood pretty bad. Uh, my, my parents had gotten divorced. Um, he moved not too far away. You know, I'd ride my bike on the side of the highway try to go see him mm. um, just because I had that that yearning to be with my father because uh, good fathers are so necessary as as I'm sure all of us here know and everyone listening knows. And um, it got to the point where I got in trouble with the law. <laughs> I, I like to say I was interviewed by a detective. My dad likes to say I was arrested. I don't really remember the exact <laughs> details, but <laughs> you know, it's one of those two, a combination of those two. And uh, it was it was harmless. It was a um, stupid, su- stupid choice, wrong place, wrong time sort of situation. But it was it was eye opening and it caused a spiral event to where um, I had a fight with my mom and I was in uh, I remember being in the basement of my house and I just prayed to God. I don't want to be here anymore. I don't want to be here anymore. The suffering the scrounging for for change to to go buy candy from the store because that's the thing that I could afford to eat this you know uh having meals donated by local churches uh Christmas presents donated by local churches and I'm not I'm not uh degrading or down downing any of that thank God that those things exist I wouldn't have had any food but the overall situation and the struggle and the pain and the 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 abuse and all these other things, I just prayed, Lord, I, you know, I, I, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to kill myself. But if you want to take me, that'd be great. <laughs> so yeah, that was wow. that was what was on my heart. And uh, it resulted in me calling my dad. And he had converted by this time. He had uh, remarried by this time. Uh, he had the annulment process was super easy because he wasn't married in the church, all those sorts of things. Uh, and they drove a couple hours to come pick me up. And that kind of put me on this pathway, right? So my dad converts. Now I'm out of this bad situation, but I'm carrying all of this baggage with me. I'm carrying these wounds that have not healed. I'm carrying um, all these different issues that I've had. I mean, I I tell people, I I have no doubt, and we'll probably get into this. I have no doubt that I was oppressed, very heavily oppressed uh, spiritually. And so I I was uh, very full of rage and anger, and these wounds were just festering. And in the midst of that, I convert. <laughs> so wow. I'm watching what my dad is doing. And I'm, I've always been very intellectually driven. And so I'm reading, you know, okay, well, this is what the Episcopalians say. This is what, you know, the Anglicans say. This is what, who cares, you know, name it, right? But then I stumble across apostolic succession. And I thought, this makes perfect sense. <laughs> so I thought this, this is brilliant. I mean, you could, you, you're telling me that I can go to a priest and in the midst of their, they can trace back to one of the disciples. It's like, that's amazing. So it was a very intellectual conversion, but it was a conversion and praise God for it because that planted the seeds for what, what grew later on. So mm-hmm. fast forward uh, quite a bit of time and, you know, all through these wounds and different things like that. 
I become a police officer. I was going to go into the military. That didn't work out. Become a police officer. And I spend my formative years on the streets of Birmingham, right? And at that at the time, I don't know if it still is, but at the time it was ranked one of the top 10 most dangerous uh, cities in the nation. Mm-hmm. I was shot at multiple times, you know, fights and, and things like that. I was a member of the uh, quick response team. So if there was an active shooter call or anything like that, it, I was part of that team that would that would go in and respond. If I, if I could, what yeah, inspired ahead. you to go into um, become a police officer? I missed that. You know, here's what's funny about that. I don't even remember applying. I I, I legitimately don't. Um, I, I've always had a sense of justice, right? Now, I think at the time it was a very disordered understanding of justice, but I did know right from wrong, and I did want to help people, and that seemed like the pathway to to make that work the most. And what's interesting is, before that, you know, I I was working in retail, but I. I had a I had the ability to kind of climb the ladder, so to speak. Um, just a hard worker, you know, helping make things more functional. And manager saw that and said, "Awesome, I want to make you a manager of this store." Like, okay, great, you know. So I could have probably followed that path, but I I was yearning for something more. Um, so when the letter came, like I said, I don't remember applying, but I guess I did. Uh, but when the letter came to say, "Hey, come try out," you know, you need to do the the uh, physical assessment and all that. Uh, I, I went through it and I was like, okay, well, this is the path we're going to do this. And what's fascinating is even though I had this intellectual, um, understanding of the faith and I I had not owned it, I was not living it. I was going to mass, but I I just wasn't living it. It was very, um, culturally, culturally Catholic, I think would be giving myself too much credit in in this, if that kind of describes it. Mm -hmm. Uh, I just wasn't mentally there. Um, but I remember praying hail mary's in formation because <laughs> you know, they act like drill sergeants so you line them up and the jail and what's really funny is the the police academy i don't know if it's still there but the jail is right behind it so we'd go for formation in the morning and you'd have uh people in the jail screaming at you from the windows information. <laughs> and that and you know you can't respond and and the the instructors are getting in your face and they're and it's all for purpose of course but i just yeah. remembered staring at one chain link on the fence and just praying hail mary over and over again and that's what wow. got me through wow so it's it's fascinating these little threads right that that go through the story so uh so i i go in i i believe at 20 i graduate the academy and i'm i become a full-fledged officer at age 21 and then those formative years, those early 20s, were spent on the streets dealing with what I was dealing with. My first, and as per perspective or context, rather, my first week, I worked a homicide every single day, sometimes multiples a day. Uh, and so it was it was trial by fire in a uh, in a in a big way. And yeah, yeah, and and I think, you know, unfortunately, there's not a lot of <sighs> help for guys in that situation to help them to understand what they're seeing and going through um having to watch somebody die is really hard uh knowing that there's nothing you can do and you're just you're just standing there it's a feeling of helplessness but there's nothing to help guys work through that so what happens is you know i have this this low this level of rage that already existed and this level of wounds that already existed and it just what i was experiencing just you know maybe it's a cup right just filled that cup just kept filling it and filling it until it started overflowing and i became hyper hyper negative 
Um, you know, I, I was seeing a lot of injustice. I was seeing a lot of corruption and trying to change it and uh, getting blacklisted because of it, um, being refused positions that I that I had um, all of the, you know, the resume filled out for, you know, what it should have been a shoe in sort of a thing. Um, but because I was outspoken and I, and granted, I, I guarantee you, I didn't go about it the right way. Mm, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I didn't have the prudence at the time. So that's on me. Um, but, you know, and it, it was just not a good situation. So those things build up. And uh, during this, I, I skipped over an important part and I apologize. But when I was young in the midst of the abuse, I, I stumbled on pornography that that became an issue throughout my entire life. But in the midst of this is when it really started becoming a hold. Um, and then you combine horrific nightmares that I had every single night, it was literally every single night, horrific nightmares without fail. So I thought, okay, well, if I drink enough, I can get to sleep. And this is how ridiculous it is. I had it down to a science. I, I knew that if I stopped at the corner store on the way home and talked to my buddy who who worked there and he was a really nice guy, an immigrant who was telling me what cars he was working on and he just got his his passport just became like that. I enjoyed that. But if I got this drink, this drink and this drink, it's enough to get me out and asleep, but it's not enough to cause any problems the next morning. Right. But it still causes a problem. We know that uh, uh, physiologically. So I'm not getting deep sleep. And so this cycle of drinking and pornography and anger and drinking and pornography and, you know, all these other things in the midst of serial relationships, because I was trying to, in, in a way that I believe so many of us do with our varying wounds, for me, I was not given the love of a mother that I needed and or affection in that way. And I didn't know this at the time. It took much therapy and, and counseling and things like that to, to, to discover this. But I was seeking that love, um, that true love, like Mary gives to us. But I was seeking that in relationships. So now I'm adding serial relationships, just sin on top of sin, mm. you know, in the midst of all this. I end up getting married. Uh, I completely destroy that. It, it was very short. It was a, it was a year or less um my ex-wife uh got pregnant we have a beautiful little girl but my sin at that point uh broke you know we we both brought our our kindling to the marriage so to speak we both brought our wounds uh, because wounded people attract wounded people of course uh, and that's not anything about her it's just the reality of the world we yeah. live in mm -hmm. and uh so we broke both brought our kindling but my sin is what lit the fire right and everything went up in smoke. So uh, there was a certain point where I just completely broke down, completely broke down. I had fallen away from the church at this point. I was going to, to her um, Protestant church, and I was barely going through the motions. I was barely surviving. I ended up leaving policing because I can't handle it anymore. And I'm, I'm thinking, man, if I get killed, because this is, I, I went in before Ferguson. So you know, politically, we know how it is now when it, everything was really on fire then. Yeah. It's like, if I die, I cannot do this and leave my daughter without a father. I can't do that. So mm -hmm. I leave policing. And uh, and I even had a company where I was teaching people how to shoot defensive tactics and things like put close that down, all that kind of stuff. But I, so everything is just breaking down. And I come to this point and I just, I, I'm just crying out, like, God, you know, I don't know what it is. I don't know what needs to happen. Something needs, something needs to give. Something needs to give. So I'm at church 
their their Protestant church one day. And I'm sitting there and I'm just kind of like observing. And I have the thought, and this is interesting for more context. I was mad at what I thought the church was, the Catholic church. I was mad. Yeah. But I had the thought, I really miss the Eucharist. And it was so profound that even in the depth of my uh, my sickness and my my stupidity, quite frankly, that it broke through. And I thought, why would I, why would I think that? I'm mad at the church, right? I'm, 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 you know, I, I would never, I would never do that. But it, it broke through enough where, where God kind of gave me this thread and started pulling me in the right direction. So, uh, in the midst of this, I'd already kind of dabbled with, with counseling and things like that. And some things were starting to break free. And, and maybe that was the initial grace that God needed to kind of, not that he needs grace, but you know what I mean? There are yeah. cooperation with his grace that he needed mm-hmm. to kind of to poke me to bring bring him back and i dove in you know because i i was just completely broken my my ex-wife had left she had taken my my daughter with her and you know i'm in this house this empty house by myself and you know <clears throat> i can't stand who i've become and all these other different things so i just dive in i'm like all right lord if you're calling me i'm i'm, I'm going all in i'm this is what's going to happen somehow i had uh, father ripperger's deliverance prayers for the lady Wow. You know, I, yeah, I don't know how, Pro- probably my folks, I, I found it on one of my shelves. So I'm looking through that and I'm like, okay, this is amazing. I go to an intensive, uh, it's a, it was a four day therapy. I, I, would, I wouldn't call it a retreat, but we walk in and the guys were lined up and the guys say, you need to understand that what you're about to experience is a hundred hours of intensive therapy and we're going to jam into four days. So buckle up. So that's sort of a level of thing, because I'm the kind of guy, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it all out. I'm going to give you everything that I have. And that kind of began the journey. Now, the the real turning point, so all these things are starting to move. This, this stone facade is starting to kind of break and crumble slowly. Um, but my parents didn't quite know everything that was going on. And right. I knew that, because at this time, now I had transitioned from one job that I was doing to working for them. So I'm working for a Catholic organization, but I had fallen away from the church and I, and I was struggling and I was coming back, but you know, I knew that I had to be honest with them and honor them. And so, uh, I called them up and I said, Hey, we, we need to talk. And so I met them at the church of the, or the shrine of the most blessed sacrament. I don't know if you've ever been there, but it's I have absolutely not, but incredible. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Mother Angelica is, is, uh, yeah. it's, it's amazing. So we meet in a room off of the main church. And uh, I remember purposefully sitting <laughs> in, the, in a chair where they couldn't sit next to me. There's a table in between us. <laughs> I'm trying to trying to create a little bit of distance because yeah. I don't know what my dad's going to do. You know, he's never been violent, but I'm like, if if he ever is going to be violent, it might be this. <laughs> so, so I, I'm just I, I'm in this completely wounded state, and I had a plan, and I was hoping that like me me showing them that I've been making effort and I'm trying would would be in my favor a little bit, you know? And so I just, I sit them down and I begin to weep and uncontrollably. And I tell them everything. Mm. I mean, everything I'm talking down to the detail, everything. And, uh, and so Stephanie, my, 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 uh, my stepmom, she's really my mom. She comes in and she sits on the table and she puts her hand out. And I, I just knew I needed to put my hand in hers. So I put my hand in her hand 
And she said, I'm so sorry for your suffering. And in that moment, I experienced the love that I've been searching for mm. for so long, you know, and in a moment that I certainly didn't deserve it, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like this is the stuff I was doing in your house. This is, this is what I've done. This is, you know, one of the reasons why you can't see your granddaughter right now is because of my own sin and, you know, these different things. And it was just, and it wasn't, there was no excusing anything that I did, but it was also a recognizing that, yeah, you went to the pigs, you're eating from the trough and that sucks. And I, and I love you and I don't want you to experience that. But that moment was so profound that I believe it was in that moment that the oppression was lifted through that act of, of pure love and, wow. and, and grace. And, uh, and I, and I say that because as I'm driving away from the shrine, I remember looking up at the sky and thinking, I have never seen the clouds so clearly. I like they're crisp. I've never seen the sky so blue. And then I'm thinking, I've never been able to really hear my thoughts like this. Like everything is so clear. And that just, that's when the stone facade fell and I continue to dive and I continue to push and I continue to learn. And uh, in the midst of that experience, tremendous healing, uh, you know, JP2's, uh, Dr. Bob Schutz healing the whole person was a part of that later on, but it, that was a huge part of that as well. It helped me understand some more. Um, but I, so I dove in deep and, and I thought, okay, well, uh, I've been doing really well with this pornography thing by the grace of God, but there's got, I hate having to white knuckle things. There's gotta be yeah. something we can do here. And so I, I end up talking to the the CSATs, the certified sex addiction therapist that I had talked to at that uh, intensive retreat, who, which by the way, this is interesting. I'll, I'll back up a little bit. One of the, one of them sits down with me and he says, Jordan, you, you understand you're not addicted to pornography, right? And I thought, what? <laughs> like, yeah. I'm here because I have an issue that's affected my life. What do you mean? And he goes, no, no, no. You're addicted to affection. And this is merely a coping mechanism. And even having that mindset shift, when he did say, you know, obviously you, you don't meet the clinical criteria for clinical addiction. So there is that. So praise God for that. But, <laughs> but that mindset shift, right? And so I'm talking to them and I'm, I'm pulling all these resources that I've, that I've found and I've learned and I'm diving into neuroscience and, and psychology and uh, neurochemistry and understanding dopamine and serotonin and how, you know, uh, pornography affects the, the brain, the human brain to a certain degree, like heroin does. You're getting similar hits of dopamine and serotonin and things like this and, uh, you know, all of that. And so I end up making a system because there's stuff out there and there was, there was a lot of stuff out there, but I, I felt like it didn't touch on the key factor, which is what we know, which is the beauty of the faith. Mm -hmm. So combining those two things that's what really set me free. And then God started putting people in my life and they were out of the blue and they were saying, I'm really struggling with pornography. And I'm like, Hey, here's what I'm doing. Maybe it will help. It helps them. And eventually I create uh do the harder thing, which was kind of a, uh, more of a blog. And then it morphed into talking more about the pornography side and helping people. And then now for the past year and a half, I think, or maybe two years, it, it God kind of kind of brought me to this place where he said, okay, awesome. You did what I wanted you to do. You did what I asked. Now I need you to go into another direction. And that's when the deep dive, and there'd been a lot, uh, there'd been a lot of signposts along the way that this was coming. 
um, St. Gemma being one of them. Yeah. So this had been coming for years. Um, but he said, okay, but I really need you to do it now. And I have kind of a Jonah complex where some, I, even to this day, God says, I need you to do something. And I'm like, ah, uh-huh. maybe the inside of the whale might be a little bit better. <laughs> and I still haven't learned yet. <laughs> I still struggle Absolutely. with that. Um, but uh, so now anyway, um, the past year, year and a half, two years have been diving into spiritual warfare, demonology, angelology, and taking these, these topics that are talked about um, but really breaking it down into brass tacks and removing the veil, uh, removing any sort of, uh, ideally, God willing, any sort of fear in the topic, any sort of misunderstanding, and just saying, listen, God is a great God. Jesus is king. He's provided with you with everything that you need in the church and its graces to overcome whatever comes your way. This is how it's done, you know? Amen. And so that's kind of the main focus now. Um, but yeah, that's the story in a in a very truncated version. Wow. Wow. I'm really grateful. It's uh, quite a story and something that gives us plenty of next avenues for us to dive <laughs> into. So um, there is there's no shortage of things we could discuss. But Sam, why don't you uh, jump in? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I love conversion stories, and yours is a particularly uh, powerful one. So thank you for sharing that. It's an <laughs> incredible uh what god did in your life and and how what he's still doing um and still drawing you further on and and deeper in the faith um i just want to point out but i mean i have a question but i i i do want to point out a couple of threads or themes that you mentioned um and one is that powerful anger you know and anger is is so tied to justice it's it's so tied to a sense of injustice really and like you felt that for so long and that kind of dread like led you to want to set things right and like you know be a police officer but then that just that that wasn't quite what you were looking for like right. that it wasn't quite um the manifestation of that that you were looking for in your life but that but that anger and justice were so tied together but they were protecting that vulnerability underneath but what i love is that moment you talk about where you um experience mercy you know it's like it wasn't denying what happened there was justice and then saying like this wasn't right and yet like uh, you know as the theologians tell us like mercy goes beyond justice it's not right. like contrary to it it goes further than it. and it's like even though you are you did all of these things we're not denying that i still release you and it's yeah. it's that powerful experience of of mercy you know that it's kind of captured in the story of the prodigal son where he has no expectations of being welcomed back into the family or anything like that it's just like i'm here punish me if you need to i'm just trying to survive here and then it's like no i'm actually going to release you from your debt and in fact celebrate you and embrace you with love and um i just like when we talk about mercy so often in the church, it tends to be like, you know, we're quoting John Paul II or St. Faustina or something, and it can be something very abstract. And you, you talked about how like your journey to begin with was like very intellectual. But I would I would love to hear you expand on just like what that experience of mercy, why that was so transformative beyond like any idea of mercy that you could read in a in the catechism or in a textbook or you know uh, like 
how did that experience like just transform your heart um, just in a personal way? Yeah, that's a fantastic question. I think in a lot of ways, um, it goes back to that old idiom that talk is cheap, right? Yeah. You can you can intellectually know all these things, but what what you know, I I often reference, or I, I shouldn't say often reference, I've been thinking a lot about Jesus calling the Pharisees whitewashed tombs. So they have the appearance of, you know, everything is put together. They know the law. They know all these different things. But on the inside, they're dead and they're rotting. You know, so their word, what do their words mean? Not much. They're, they're, it's a facade. So in that, in that moment of mercy for me, it was a practical and even physical experience that exemplified even something like vulnerability where I... I had put myself physically away from them. I had to choose to give her my hand in that moment of vulnerability. I didn't know what she was going to do. You know, I, there's no telling. But but in that that act of mercy, I think it's it's one thing we do have to say the words, right? Like when we talk about forgiveness, especially when the exorcists talk about forgiveness and, and breaking ties, you have to choose to forgive even if you don't feel it. So there is power there in saying it. But there is also power in physically exemplifying it. You know what I mean? It's that hug. It's that bringing in. It's that touch. It's that living out your faith in, in an action that's that's undeniable because you're doing it. It's physically present. It's there. Um, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question, but. Yeah, no, I think that's that's incredibly powerful and something that is good to to carry as a witness to to all of us. And so I really appreciate you you sharing um all of those intricacies. And I do, I actually want to turn a little bit because you brought it up a couple of times with um demons and say spiritual combat or spiritual warfare. And in our culture today, there's a very, you know, cinematic sort of uh understanding and maybe an inappropriate curiosity with so much mm -hmm. of it. So I I want to know when hearing your story it kind of seemed like Satan had grabbed a hold of you. You were basically checked off on the list of, of we got this one. And when you decided to push back, when you decided to open your heart to mercy, when you were able to cooperate with grace or hear the voice of, of God in these moments, how were you aware of it and what sort of spiritual attacks did, uh, started coming up? And uh, and then again, how were you guided to continue on the path? Or was it just that you had reached the bottom and you didn't like it down there and it didn't matter what happened? You said you put yourself for you know, full force into everything. You were going to get out no matter what. I'd love to hear just a little bit more about that, the spiritual side of, of your journey. Yeah. So so being at the bottom, what well, you just said, that is a part of it. But it's important to note that when I started coming back, um, thank God I have the parents that I do. You know, he's written books on these different things. And if I have a question about anything, it's like, yeah, read this or read this. Um, so I started understanding mental prayer. And I basically, one of the things I left out, but in the midst of everything going on, uh, I was by myself for about a year. And I call it kind of my hermitage year where I had no friends um all my family was three hours away you know i was i was just trying to see my daughter as often as i could i was going to work i was going to the gym and that was about it and inside of that i was learning to pray and i was learning to hear the voice of god 
using Lexio Divina, uh, Lexio Divina, excuse me, using utilizing mental prayer. You know, I I set up a prayer space. It's because it's so important to to prime yourself because your body is your enemy. <laughs> it's gonna yeah, do everything yeah. to distract you, right? Setting up a prayer area on the edge of my bed. It was tiny. It was simple with some candles to kind of set the ambiance to like help me focus with a beautiful crucifix, some icons, things of that nature, probably some of the stuff behind me yeah. um, that I, I'm sure some of that was, was, was from that same sp- uh, space and sitting with the gospels and, and praying and trying to learn, okay, God, I want to know you. I want to know your voice. You know, one of the things that I still think about, to, I always keep it in the forefront of my mind, you know, I ask myself in certain situations, and I ask my friends this a lot too, you know, they're, they're trying to decide on something. And I said, okay, well, you're, let's say you go and stand in front of Jesus tomorrow. What do you have to do in this circumstance? What, or what do you think you need to do in order for him to say, well done, my good and faithful servant? Or is he going to say, I never knew you? Well, for those who study the Greek, right, not to get into the intellectual part of it, because uh, I'm not that intellectual for the record, but the Greek in that sense, new is the same Greek used for Adam, new Eve. So Jesus is saying, I never knew you. What is he saying? I was never intimate with you, mm-hmm. right? It's like the spousal union with us in Christ. Well, how do you know your spouse? You talk to them, right? And you hopefully yeah. you talk to them every day mm-hmm. and you don't just talk, but you listen. And that's what mental prayer is. It's Lexio Divina. So in that year, I'm spending time in the gospel and I'm just, I'm just trying to learn God and I'm, and I'm asking him questions. And I'm not saying that I had like locutions and, you know, I heard the voice of God and these sorts of things, but you know, you, you read it and thank God there's something like a Cantia where you have early church fathers that you can go back to and get more context, like beautiful, right? It's free. You can get on your phone for free. I know. Right. And, and in the midst of that, I learned his voice and that helped guide me moving mm. forward now. And that provided a tremendous amount of strength and guidance as to what he wanted me to do. Like I didn't start do the harder thing on a whim. It, I actually didn't want to start it at all. I had no desire to start it. Uh, but God had made it very clear through, through normal means and measures. Um, that's, that's what he wanted me to do. So, um, but on the flip side of that coin, the spiritual battles, my goodness, uh, not just the cross of the continued damage that I had caused, um, not being able to see my daughter, which is a which is a cross in and of its uh, in and of itself, but there were you know legitimate whether it was struggling, still struggling, like you think you're okay, and yeah. and then the temptation comes up. You know, I gave a talk at Georgia Mason University, and they said, well, "What's the most extreme thing you've ever done to to make sure that you don't fall?" I told them, I said, "I broke an iPad over my knee." There's one night where I was so tempted and I was just like, I can't do this. And I smashed it over my knee and I, and I joked and I said, you know, you, you have a bed covered full of uh, slivers of glass and you're not going to, you're not going to do anything, yeah. <laughs> not sleep, but you're not going to do anything else either. Absolutely. Um, so those, the normative means of, of demonic interaction, which is temptation, that's what they do all the time, right? Whether we recognize it or not. But then there was also the kind of more extraordinary means, um, uh, higher levels of temptation, uh, as crazy as it is, I, I was at a healing conference and I had a, a beautiful woman, beautiful young woman who literally threw herself at me. And I was mm-hmm. like, what is this? You know, cause I've been so distant from everything for so long that it was shocking. 
And, and by the grace of God, I recognized, okay, this is, this has to be a temptation. This doesn't make sense. This is the only thing that it could be. And I wasn't as well versed then. And I, knowing, knowing what I know now, it was 100% a temptation um, and, and avoiding that. And then to the more extreme things to where, um, you know, we were talking about St. Gemma before we started this, yeah. I decided to do a novena to her um, mm. when I had found out about her and fell in love with her. And I, this is probably the only time that I can remember. I certainly haven't had anything like the sense that I can recall. This one is just very vivid in my mind. And I, and I do not believe that it's common. So if anyone listens to this and gets freaked out, I do. I, God permits what he permits. And I think he permitted this for me for a particular purpose. So don't get freaked out for, for these sorts of things. But I start to pray her novena the very first night. And I'm laying in my bed. And because I'm uh, 20... 20 something year old bachelor. My mattress is on the floor, of course, right? Yeah, very classy. That's right. That's and right. Then, <laughs> and then the gentleman lifestyle. Little, <laughs> right, right. And then I have my little bedside table right here. And so I'm very, I'm, I'm like in this corner and I feel this, I'm asleep, but I wake up and I feel this dark presence over me as if it's kneeling next to my bed and leaning over me. Mm. And I, I think I opened my eyes. I don't really know. It was a weird, like sort of dream state almost, but it was very, very real. But I knew it was a female. I don't want to say essence because it sounds new agey, but like there was something there. And it leaned over me, got into my face and screamed. Wow. And I'm laying there like, and something, something in the midst of that was like, this is because you started the Novena to St. Gemma. And then I thought, okay, I'm going to pray it even harder. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so I, I I did the St. Michael prayer and I rolled over and I was fine. And I never had anything happen like that since, you know, not to say that I haven't been places where, you know, there obviously we've all experienced like, yeah, oh, there's something off here. For sure. But uh, other than that, that was kind of the most extreme. But I think, I think it, it's worth noting that in general, you know, these temptations or these afflictions, these various sufferings, whatever they may be, um, while that may be the pushback, you know, I get a lot of questions from people. One the other day, my husband's coming into the church. Um, he's really excited, but man, he's just feeling like he's, he's all of a sudden having all these issues and he's depressed and all that kind of he's desolation. I was like, yes, it's more common than you think. Don't worry, push on. They're just trying to get him to stray from the path. Praise God you know, pray with them, all these other things. Like that's the normative means and, and yeah. whether or not it's heavier for some than others, it is what it is, but that's, that's kind of what I experienced. Well, I appreciate that. And my wife, my, sorry, my daughter and I actually prayed for that individual because you posted it on your oh, Instagram awesome. account. So we awesome. prayed a, a Potter Noster. So I was one of them, but, um, but I want to just point out before Sam jumps in here is that it was the pursuit of the good though. And, and I think that is so important is that it was your consistent Lexio Divina. It was your consistent pursuit of the, the good. I didn't hear in what you were saying that you were just looking for those opportunities where Satan was attacking right. you, right? There, there wasn't a certain, uh, at least you didn't describe it as any certain paranoia or any sort of, you know, right. um, like looking for that, because I feel like that is something that is a, a temptation of Satan, right? Is that yes. curiosity that yes. he can put on, on our minds, our hearts and our thoughts. So anyways, I really appreciate uh, you kind of walking us through that experience and and, and in in doing so, you know, just wanted to point out that uh, that importance of it, it is for men. It is it is 
the harder thing consistently. So mm. anyways, I appreciate that. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I, I on that note, like I would let you see, you strike me. I haven't known you that long, probably 40 minutes now. But, <laughs> but uh, um, you strike me as like as like a man of action, you know, like you yeah. said, you like you go all in on things like you, you're very um, maybe externally active. But like you talk about this period of just really like purification where you were just going inward a lot mm. both through like therapy but also like mental prayer and like you're doing a lot of like inner work and i think this is something that men struggle with like mm -hmm. men struggle to go inside like out here like i can manage the world out here like i can navigate this i can endure this like but man don't don't ask me to go inside like there's just just i don't know what's in there it's scary like and it kind of, you know, I'm not saying it's 100% easy, but it seems to come easier for women. Like it seems to come mm -hmm. easier for women to have that interiority. And so I'm wondering, like you mentioned this prayer corner, which I would recommend to everybody, where you create, you set the atmosphere. But do you have any other like suggestions, um, yeah. things that you learned along the way for guys who are like, man, that all sounds really powerful. Like maybe I need to be praying more. But the idea of just like exploring my interior world, the thought of like praying silently, like that just that just makes me really uncomfortable. Like, what would you say to a guy who's like really struggling with that call that they're feeling, but also that yeah. resistance? Yeah. So first, firstly, it's good for men to know that it is going to be harder for you. You know, you mentioned that it's easier for women, and it is when you look at how our women are. And this isn't a knock on women by any means. It's actually no. a beautiful thing. The way that women are created, they're created to receive, right? Like that's the their very being is reception. Like that's such a beautiful thing. So God, God uses that for women, and it's you can have a holy jealousy for that. But for men, we got to understand that we have to work harder. You know, we we got to you know, not to use the motto, but it is the motto: do the harder thing. Yeah. Practically speaking, you know, one of the first things I started doing actually by accident, but it ended up being so effective. And I learned later, you know, through like the Desert Fathers and things like that, but uh, spending a lot of time in silence, which is particularly hard in our current society. But I, I used to go out on hikes in the woods and purposefully try to get lost. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't bring, you know, I'd have my phone if something happened, but I wouldn't bring headphones or anything like that. And I started getting to this habit of just saying like, all right, God, like I'm here. I'm just going to think, but if you want to talk, I'm here to listen, you know, and, and almost always there was, there ended up being some sort of um, dialogue of sorts, or I'd be trying to work something out through my head and, you know, there would be some sort of solution or, or movement or, or things of that nature. So that's one practical application. The other practical applications, like you mentioned the prayer corner, um, you know, having a consistent time is so key. Like when, when we understand, like one of the most freeing things about helping guys or in helping them break free from pornography is understanding that you have made your body your enemy. It's craving this drug. You've trained it to crave this drug and you have to untrain it, right? So it's it's almost similar in prayer, right? So there's there's aspects of our body and I'm not saying our body is bad. We're beautifully and wonderfully made, but um depending on how you train it can work for you or against you right so if i'm getting up inconsistently and i'm praying inconsistently i'm not going to create that i'm not going to develop that habit that helps me that helps my body know that okay if i'm getting up at 5 30 every day and i'm going to go sit in this spot this is going to be my prayer spot i'm going to light these candles this is my prayer time and eventually 
that helps. It doesn't eliminate all the issues because we're human and we're always going to have distractions and things like that, but it definitely helps. Um, there's times where I pr uh, play um, Gregorian chant in the background softly enough to kind of help set that atmosphere of like, this is a holy space. This is a space where I'm trying to enter in with God. There's fantastic prayers out there. There's one I'm, I, I love, Alphonsus Liguori, a huge fan of Alphonsus Liguori. He has a, a means of mental prayer that you can find. It's like a one-page sheet. It's like, this is how you pray when you start. He gives you some guidelines. And this is how you pray when you close. You know, you have that sort of thing. So you're setting yourself up. You're training yourself. You're entering into that atmosphere. And even practical application, or more practical than that even, would be a book like The Better Part from uh, Father John Bartunic, yeah. who's, who's a good friend of ours where you have the daily gospel and you have his reflections and you just pray with those. I always recommend that to people who are starting out because it's like, that's how you do it. Just, just copy this <laughs> and insert yourself into it, you know, and have your own, your own thoughts. Um, those are so big. And then even kind of a uh, different branch, but same tree um, understanding things like discernment of spirits uh, really taking every thought captive, knowing not every thought, Teresa of Avila, right? Not every thought in your, your head is your own and you shouldn't listen. Okay, well, what does that mean? Not everything that's popping in my head is me. Okay, got to give myself some grace. Let's just put that aside and go back to prayer. Those sorts of things. And that's a tool. Discernment of spirits is a tool that'll help you in all aspects of your life anyway, but even particularly in, in handling these sorts of things. But yeah, prayer area, consistent time, it, even if, for goodness sakes, even if it's 15 minutes, if you can just crank out those 15 minutes, and, and I'll say this, there's a lot. So I went from a, an extremely grace-filled period where every time I opened the Gospels, it was like I was being poured, graces were just being poured mm. upon me. Since then, my prayer has been the desert. I've been in the desert ever since then. And that's okay. It's okay to be in the desert. And, and I've gotten to the point where I like I literally prayed to God one time. I have a huge devotion to Our Lady of Sorrows. So I prayed one time because I was really struggling with focusing and and you know all these other things. I said, okay, agony in the garden. What did you do? What did you ask? Jesus asked his disciples, Can you not just stay up with me for an hour? He wants companionship. And I prayed, God, I'll be there. We don't have to talk. We don't have to talk. You don't have to say anything, but I'll be here with you. And, and that became my commitment to where even if I'm not feeling it, even if I'm even if I'm in the desert as I have been for so many years, praise God, I'm still showing up and I'm going to be with him on that rock in in the Garden of Gethsemane. And I'm just I'm just going to be there. And that's the mental prayer. And if something comes, something comes. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But I'm living out that relationship. I'm owning that relationship as I would if I was married, that I would with my wife. I'd show up and love her even when I didn't feel like it. Because we all know you love even though you don't feel like it sometimes, right? So, yeah. Yeah, I love that you're, you're mentioning the relationship with the body because I'm, 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 a, I'm a therapist myself. And one of the things that is really a growing trend in therapy in general is like somatics, they call it. But essentially the relationship of the body and the mind and how they're so closely intertwined and there's no way you can it's almost no way you can heal the mind right. without in some way addressing the body but you're talking about this idea of like just showing up like even in neuroscience they have this idea of implicit memory where it's like you do something long enough like your house you walk around your house you could you could navigate your house in your sleep mm. my son does it he sleepwalks all the time, <laughs> time but yeah. like you can just 
you can just walk around and you're completely unconscious because you know that house like the back of your hand, like you don't even have to think about it. It's just so ingrained in your body and in that muscle memory that you just, you don't even think about it. And it's kind of, I love what you're saying is like, it's kind of the same thing, applying that principle to your, your prayer life, your spiritual life, where it's like you do something long enough, even the physical action of sitting in a certain place or kneeling in a certain place, like creates that like implicit memory that's, yeah, it's below the radar. You're not you know consciously aware of it or thinking about it but it's your soul's like ready, like it's yeah. ready to receive whatever God sends you. So I just, I love that point. I just wanted to to highlight that. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's uh, maybe one of y'all would know this better than better than I do, but is it uh, Lex Arande, Lex Credendi, right? Is that yeah. the same principle? Yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 Comes up frequently on our episodes. So yeah, I yeah. appreciate you mentioning that. Uh, so yeah, I want to talk about uh, do the harder thing and, and so, yeah, actually, but before we jump in there, it is, it's, you know, um, inspiring. And I appreciate you mentioning the dryness of prayer, right? Because I actually think that that's something that comes to, comes by uh, to men often, right? Is this mm-hmm. sort of dryness. And I know it myself. And I remember talking to the Catholic Gentleman Plus members will know, asking a hermit, you know, that same question about, you know, I've got... Uh, Teresa Avila's nine hierarchy, you know, a prayer like stapled up. When am I going to get past the second or the third rung or whatever? Right. You know, and he quickly jumped in and just said, "Pray as you can, not as you can't." Right. And that's mm. that's what we're called to do. And that that Saint John of the Cross rings through my head of like, you know, the endurance through the darkness or endurance through desolation. Um, you know, is preparation for great light. And and I just um, you know, I just see that, and I want to encourage men that are listening to that because I like you, Jordan, have had. Um, years, yeah, of kind of, you know, coming to prayer every single day. Um, and maybe once or twice a year, you know, having kind of like that, that inspiration and that, you know, but it's not certainly but I've had periods of my life too, where likewise, where it's like every single month, and it, you know, I'm just, I'm just, you know, jumping at prayer and, and loving it and really, really sensing movements within but then, you know, five kids later, <laughs> my life is taken a different direction. And, yeah. and that dryness is set in. So I appreciate you mentioning that. So coming back, why do the harder thing? Why did you um, pick that up? You know, I'm hearing this thread of consistency, this thread of, of stability, this thread of, of doing what is right, you know, regardless of the outcome or regardless of, you know, the situation, but we're, we're just pursuing um, the, the, true, good, and beautiful. And I want to hear from you why you chose Do the Harder Thing. Yeah, so the name is, a the, the how I came about the name is kind of an interesting story. I'll tell it as quickly as possible. But I don't know, I'm sure everyone out there has had one of those moments where you're having an argument in your head that has never happened, that may never happen. It's like a preemptive argument, that goofy nonsense where, <laughs> well, if, if this happens, I'm going to say this. And if this happens, I'm going to say this. Or I should have said that, right? It's the, it's the normative. It's another one of those normative temptations that he's going to try to draw you to the past or the past or the future, right? So that's what was happening. But God used it. God permitted it and he used it. And in the midst of that, I remember telling this person that I was arguing with, and again, this argument never happened. This is all in my head. I tell this person, you need to just do the harder thing. And for some reason, it, 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 and I should mention at the time, like I was very, I was actually crying. I was driving and crying while this is going on. Wow. <laughs> it was just not a good situation, but it snapped me out of it. And I was like, what the heck is that? Do the harder thing. What is that? And so I wrote it down. 
and as I mentioned, these silent hikes, I'd go on these silent hikes and I was like, okay, do the harder thing. So when there was a fork and there was a path that was more difficult, I chose the more difficult path because I started learning, you know, when you're choosing, when you're pursuing what's more difficult, more often than not, you're pursuing a more virtuous path, right? So that became my life motto. Whenever there's a decision that had to be made, especially during that time, I would think, what's the more difficult thing to do? And more often than not, that was the more virtuous option. And that would have been the better option for me to do, mm. you know? And so it just became a thing. So that's that's why I named it. Uh, I named it that. And, you know, funny enough, so I, I, I had this thing going for like a year and it was starting to blow up. And um, I had a good friend who knew about it. And she said, you need to tell your dad about this. And I was like, okay. <laughs> So, so I bring it to him and he says, uh, he says two things. He says, number one, have you been reading St. John of the cross? I was like, I'm trying, but it's just so right now I, I'm, I'm struggling with it. Yeah. So he opens up St. John of the cross and I couldn't remember which book it was, but he just goes in there like he does and goes to the exact page and pulls it. And he almost said almost verbatim. I think one word was different but he's exhorting somebody to do the more difficult thing. Wow. Like that was his exhortation, right? So then he says, he says, where did you get the name from? So I tell him the story. Now, uh, he goes, interesting. He said, your grandfather, my grandfather had just passed, I think that year, it was very mm -hmm. recent. Mm -hmm. He said he was very successful. He had a, a construction company in California. He had like three houses in Arizona that he built. One of them was built for his model train sets. Like he was just that kind of eccentric old guy. And uh, so he, he said, he, he, he sits me down and he says, so I wanted to know what made your grandfather successful. So I sat down with him and I interviewed him. I asked him all these questions. And about three or four hours after we were done, grandpa Art says, well, I'm sorry, Danny, I don't know if I answered your question. And, and dad goes, no, you, you did, you know, dad's my age at the time. He goes, no, I think you did. And my grandfather goes, yeah, you know, it all comes down to just doing the harder thing. Wow. And so my dad goes, I think grandpa gave that to you. I was yeah. like, I'll take it. Praise God. Thanks be to God. Um, uh. So, yeah, so I, so that became the motto and it still is in many ways. And uh, it just kind of encompassed all of, all of these things. You know, if you're trying to overcome sin by the very nature of overcoming sin and choosing, choosing virtue, you are doing the more difficult thing. It's easy to choose sin. Uh, even if it's, you know, even if you're, maybe you're not sinning, you're over trying to come and overcome a vice of anger. Maybe it hasn't raised to that level of sin yet. That's still doing, doing the harder thing, you know, choosing yeah. to, to subject your, your, um, fl your flesh and your feelings and your emotions to your intellect and will. So yeah. It, and it just kind of stuck and that's, that's where, it, yeah, it's still there. So <laughs> well, I love it. Congratulations. No, it's exciting. Yeah. That is awesome. I, I love that. And I think uh, the the thing about that is my, my brother is a pilot and he took me flying recently. And I was like, um, I just like to overcome the resistance of, of gravitation, you got to have like a lot of power to like hmm. lift you off the ground because gravity is strong. Like that's what, and it's like sin is like a sort of, gravity and it's like when you try mm. to ascend there's gonna be resistance there's gonna be something trying to like pull you back down both externally yes but like also internally in your own heart like your own your own fallen nature is going to be fighting you in mm. that 
And so essentially, I love the motto, because if you want to have a spiritual life at all, you're going to have to do something hard, because there's always going to be that resistance. There's always going to be that gravitation trying to pull you back and down to complacency, down to even sin. And it's like, you just got to struggle. It's a struggle to overcome that. And by God's grace, of course, it, the saints show us it's absolutely possible. Amen. But uh, it's it's also going to feel like a, a cross for a time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I love it. Like, And we just encourage everyone who's listening, if you're feeling that resistance, first of all, that's a good thing. That means you're doing something. <laughs> and second, uh, it, it, I, the saints tell us it doesn't, it's not forever in the sense that soon, like a new gravity from heaven will start to take over. Mm-hmm. Once you get past a certain point, there's like a, it'll actually be harder, I think, to transgress uh, that loving relationship with God than it will be to, um, so it just, I, all I'd say, I love the motto. And I would encourage everybody when you're feeling that resistance, do the harder thing and God's grace will meet you there. Yeah. Amen. Well, wonderful. Well, Jordan, tell us where we can find things, right? As we wrap up this episode, where, where can men go? We'll put it in the show notes to learn more about you, what you're doing, stay up to date and, and all the happenings of your life. Yeah. So most of my rants, ramblings and nonsense is on Instagram. That's uh, do the underscore harder thing. Uh, there's a website, do the harder thing.com. I haven't really updated it a lot, but there are some resources on there. The podcast, do the harder thing, um, which is slowly coming out when I have time. There's a lot of prayers on there uh, right now. I just uploaded recently, but you can find even greater stuff at spiritualdirection.com, who who I work uh, on with all that kind of stuff. Avalanche too. If there's any men out there who think they have a calling to the priesthood, check out myhighcalling.com. That's another something that we do. Um, I can't push that enough. It's, it's amazing. And then I'll be narrating or I am narrating. I'm in the process of narrating dad's new book from Alphonsus Liguori, finding peace in the storm, which is available mm. for pre-order now. Um, and you from Sophia Institute press. And I highly recommend that because a lot of what I talked about and a lot of what happened in my life is, and I mentioned God's permissive will many times, uh, Liguori hits it out of the park with understanding those sorts of things. So yeah, um, yeah I think God. that's it. Wow. Yeah. Well, Jordan, just thank you so very much for joining us today. We really are edified and and it's just been an honor to uh, get to know you and connect with you and um, you're in our prayers. So just thank you again. Yeah. Thank you so much. This has been awesome. And as we end each of our episodes, be a man, be a saint.